John said that Cindy and I moved from the Northwest. Go Seahawks. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody Seahawks fan besides us? Okay, any double discount check guys in here? Okay, well, you guys went home today. Sorry. But um, listen, sports has been a part of my family for as long as I can remember. Uh, my dad coached it, officiated it, or played it. My mom did the same. When I was in the eighth grade, I may have shared this with some of you, that my mom actually, while I was playing and practicing football, so was she. She, played on, she was a quarterback on an all-women's tackle football team when I was in the eighth grade. Yeah, my mom's 5'11". You don't jack with her. Because at the same time, I was four foot eight, and with all my football stuff on, I weighed 72 pounds. So yeah, I didn't jack with my mom either. So. But sports has been a big part. And uh, I mean, from everything, we'll watch almost anything. My brothers and I were hyper-competitive when, we, uh, when we were growing up. We would get in a fight just to see who got started first. Uh, we wanted to win no matter what. And so sports has always been, so people involved in sports has always been a part of our household. How many of you during like bowl season grew up where you had two or three TVs and you know remember you had the black white one with the rabbit ears that somebody had to stand and hold like this well you had the color one and you had the kids changing the channels um, that was our home and so I, I got to watch a lot of sports growing up and even now I love sports and one thing I know is that is that great athletes become great legends I grew up around Dallas eventually when my dad retired from the Navy, and, and so I got to see guys like uh, Roger Stavok, you know, a lot of those guys from the old cowboy days, and you remember uh, Emmett Smith, that guy running, and uh, you know, Drew Pearson, I wore his number in high school, if I was a receiver, like that was going to help me, you know, <laughs> I need a lot more help than a number, but, um, but you know, I got to watch a lot of those guys. And some of you guys grew up with guys, maybe you idolized, that were great legends in baseball or football or, or basketball. But we also got to see some incredible legacies that took those legends and created dynasties. Guys like Tom Landry, who, who was an incredible man. John Wooden, anybody remember that guy? Incredible man who who won a number of national championships straight, who created an incredible legacy. I was watching the other day, and if you follow college basketball, Mike Krzyzewski, who's the coach at Duke, you know, he's about to win his 1,000th game. That's a legacy. There are some things he has done to pour into young men to make them not just champions, but great young men. Now, speaking of women, Pat Head Summit. I actually grew up right outside of where I was at her brother's house at, at Christmas grew up right outside of where uh, Cindy grew up winningest basketball coach college basketball coach ever number of national championships at the University of Tennessee women's basketball had great legends planned to her but she created a legacy at the University of Tennessee listen legends are awesome they set records we remember those great plays. Walter Payton running. Y'all ever remember watching him running in? Amazing. But it takes men to create a legacy. Take those legends and create a legacy. And tonight, I want to look at your own life. And I want to begin by asking a question. Would you be remembered as someone who was concerned about preserving your legend 
or building on leaving a legacy. And what about Wind Baptist Church and the role that you play here? Are you helping us to preserve our legend or are you helping us build, invest, and leave a legacy for future generations? And to determine that, I want us to look at two men. Two men who faced the same obstacle at the same exact time. And what we find in those two men is what it looks like when we preserve and focus our life on preserving our legend, or if we focus our life on building, investing, and leaving a legacy. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to look at Saul and David. Saul and David. We're going to begin with verse 8. Now we're going to read a lot, but I'll stop and and point out a few things, and we're going to do some narration as well. But after we finish reading this, then we'll go into to how do we determine whether we are living a life and we are contributing to a church who is preserving its legacy or investing, uh, preserving its legend or investing in its legacy. So let's begin reading with verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, listen, this is key. Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And so here's the scene. Here's how they would kind of line up, and it's kind of like a football game. You'd have a valley, which would be a lot like the field. And on either side of this valley, on the hillside or the mountainside, would be the two armies, the two nations that were going to be fighting each other. So imagine two sidelines. And each army would send out one man, their best guy, to go out and represent not just that army, but the entire nation. And they would fight to the death, winner take all. Just as Goliath would said, if I kill him, I get you. If you kill me, you get me. Now, Goliath was not a little man. Matter of fact, he stood over nine feet tall. I'm just a hair under, under six foot. My arm's about three foot, so if you take my shoulder, put it on top of my head, he was about this tall. His breastplate that he wore into battle weighed 125 pounds. Now imagine, some of us would have a hard time just picking that up or picking it up and carrying it 10 feet or putting it in the back of a truck. Imagine some feed. Imagine three sacks of feed, 50-pound feed. This guy wore that on his shoulders and walked around with that. It says the, the head of his spear that he threw at other warriors weighed 15 pounds. Imagine taking a 15-pound dumbbell. You think, that's not much. Okay, you wind up and throw it like a baseball and see how far you can throw it. And this guy handled it like a spear, like a javelin. He was a mountain of a man. He was huge. And he would come out. And he would call out to the Israelites. And he'd say, listen, why do you guys even line up? You just say, I'm just a Philistine, right? I'm just a little old Philistine, little old me. It's just, it's just Goliath. Man, you are the army of, of Saul, of all people. 
one of you should be able to take me. Come on out and fight me. And every time he did that, and he defied the armies of Israel, it said that the Israelites, along with Saul, were dismayed and terrified. You get that? The king of the armies of the living God, the warrior king, the commander-in-chief, was afraid, terrified. And the word afraid isn't just like, hey, I'm afraid to go into the dark after I saw a scary movie, t- afraid. Everybody quick, turn on the lights and nobody shout, hey. Literally, it means to be literally scared out of your skin kind of thing. It's that, I mean, like I can't take another step. And this was the leader that the army was to follow. Skip down to verse 20 with me. Now, early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up, and set out as Jesse had directed. Now, Jesse's his dad. He reached the camp as the army was going out to battle, to its battle position, shouting the war cry. So these guys, all right, they're dressed, they're ready to go. You know, they got the eye black on. They probably have like Deuteronomy 6, 9 or something because they didn't have John 3, 16 yet. Who knows what they had, you know. Um, the Lord is your God, the Lord is one, you know, that kind of thing. They probably had that written on there. They had their armbands on. They were high-fiving, chest-bumping, head-banging. They were pumping themselves up, man. They were about to go into battle. And David walks in. And Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. Now David left his things with the keeper's supplies and ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with him, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. This is key. Whenever the Israelites literally just saw the man, they fled from him in great fear. He didn't even have to say anything. All he had, they had to do was see his profile, and it says whenever the Israelites saw, they all fled. It didn't say that they fled, and and there was Saul standing there going, come on, guys, we can do this. But he himself was running away from the enemy, afraid, terrified. Verse 25. Now, the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? How he comes out to defy Israel? The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Now, I don't know how pretty Michael was but exemption from taxes would have been a pretty good deal now David, David asked the man standing near him what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God do you hear a little bit different tone in David's voice and his actions than we do in Saul Who is he serving? The living God. And they repeated to him what they had been saying and told him this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger and asked him, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Anybody have younger brothers? And sisters, yeah, I do. 
You just feel like sometimes they get on your nerves. <laughs> I don't think Eliab was responding because David was getting on his nerves. Part of me thinks that Eliab was responding because he was feeling a little guilt, maybe some shame, maybe some fear, afraid, some fear in, his, in, his, in his heart, and he was taking it out on his little brother. Let's continue. Verse 29, now what have I done, said David, can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the man answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. Now he's in the presence of the king. Verse 32, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go out and fight him. Not one man in that army had volunteered to go do this yet. They all trembled in fear. They all ran away. And yet here's a shepherd who comes and says, Hey man, it's cool. I'll go do it. And Saul replied, You're not able to go out against a Philistine and fight him. You are a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. Here is a man nine foot tall wearing armor that weighs more than probably almost as much as David does, if not more. Here's a man who is who is battle-tested and battle-worn and a man probably bearing the scars of fights. And obviously he is a warrior and he is a champion because he is the one still standing. And he is the one who has conquered other nations and stood on behalf of the Philistines. And he's been doing this since his youth. So he's a man of experience. But here's what David said to Saul. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. And the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. There's a little bit different tone in David's voice than in Saul's, I would imagine. Listen to what Saul said to David next. Go and the Lord be with you. You know what Saul just did? He sent a boy to do a man's job. And he and every man on that line should have been ashamed that a boy came and had the faith to, to face the same enemy they had been running from. But they sent a boy to do a man's job. And then Saul dressed David in his own tunic and he put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. And you know what David told him? I can't do this. Because this is how you fight traditionally. But it's not how I fight. This is not my way of fighting. And it says after that that David went away and he grabbed five smooth stones. He put them in a shepherd's pouch and he went down to face Goliath. And as he came, Goliath kept going closer and closer. And I think he probably couldn't believe his eyes. And he realized, he said, it's a little boy. What do you come at with me with sticks like I'm a dog? Like you're going to shoo me away? And then he told David, come here. 
because I'm going to give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. See, Goliath didn't care that it was a boy because all he saw in his eyes was if I conquer them, I get to rule over them. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. And as the Philistines moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. He reached into his bag, he took out a stone, he slung it, and he struck the Philistine in the forehead. And it says, the stone buried itself into his forehead. And he fell. And it says, David ran over and grabbed his sword. Cutting off his head, he declared victory for Israel. He gave the people of Israel and every man standing there who let a boy go out and do their job, he gave them the victory. Two men, same enemy. One, focused on preserving his legend. The other, focused on building a legacy. Saul was the one really focused on his legend. I'm sure you can tell by now. And Saul, for all of his time as the king of Israel, as a chosen people of God, the one who had been appointed and anointed to lead his people, led out of fear. If you remember the day of his coronation, the day that, that they were going to anoint him, the day that before all of Israel, all the tribes of Israel, this man, you have asked for a king, and this is the man that God has set aside for you to lead you. When it came time to do that very thing, he was nowhere to be found because he was afraid and hiding in the baggage. 1 Samuel chapter 13, we find that again, he's fighting the Philistines constant source of, of just, just, I'm sure, frustration for Saul. He's there. They're overwhelmed. The numbers are overwhelming. Uh, the Philistines, uh, man, it could take them at any moment. Their guys start leaving. They've been waiting for Samuel to come and offer the, the sacrifice to the Lord, the offering to the Lord. He doesn't show. And so out of fear, Saul goes in and he offers a sacrifice to the Lord, hoping that it'll, it'll bring you know, luck or something, God's favor. It'll keep the men there. And then as he's finished, he turns around and there's Samuel. And Samuel says, what have you done? And almost is like he's patting himself on the back. He said, well, I went and offered the sacrifice because my men were leaving. I had to do something. I was afraid. And Samuel said, if you had only trusted God, then he would have established your kingdom forever. But because you acted out of fear, because you acted to protect your legend, then he has taken his hand of favor off of you. Even in death, he died in fear. In 1 Samuel 31, they're in the battle. The archers shoot, 
man, they mortally wound Saul. Saul's lying there, and out of fear, he cries out to his armor bearer, take your sword and run me through. Take my life, because if you don't, they'll come and get me, and I'm afraid of what they will do to me. And this armor bearer said, no, I can't do that. And so Saul, out of fear, falls on his own sword, taking his own life because of his pride and insecurity and the fear that he had in his own life. Saul protected his legend. David, on the other hand, as we find, preserved, invested, and built, and left a legacy. He operated out of faith. He operated out of faith. Even when he was uh, anointed by Samuel. If you remember, Samuel shows up at Jesse's house and says, Bring me your sons. One of them is to be king. But who wasn't there? David. Because he was out serving. He was doing his job. He was taking care of the sheep. Now, I have to be honest. I don't know that he fought a bear and a lion every day. I'm kind of, you know. But he was protecting the family investment. He was caring for these sheep that nobody else wanted to. And when Jesse lined up his son, Saul thought, man, these are some good-looking guys. And these are guys people will follow. And God stopped him and spoke to Samuel and said, no, Samuel. You see, that's the outside, and I don't look at the outside because the outside are the stuff that legends are made out of. He says, I look at the heart of a man because that's the stuff legacies are made of. David had the heart of God, and he had the heart of a legacy. In 2 Samuel 7, 16, God tells, Samuel, tells David, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. What David was saying, God was saying of David's legacy, you will always have a descendant upon the throne. And to this day, his descendant sits on the throne at the right hand of the Father. Is that not a legacy or what? What a legacy. Take your outline, your little handout. I want to give you five characteristics that we learn from these guys, um, that we can learn from these guys about what it looks like if we're preserving our legend or if we're building a legacy. Because here's what I want you to do at the end. After we look at five characteristics of each, I want, us to, I want you to evaluate your own life. I want you to honestly put your life up there and go, God, am I preserving my legend or am I, am I in building a legacy? Am I helping Wind Baptist Church preserve a legend and protect our legend or am I helping us to build and invest and leave a legacy for future generations. So let's look at fear. I mean, let's look at the legend. What does it look like when a church protects its legend or preserves its legend? Beside that, I want you to write the word in big letters, fear. Fear. Because everything, every characteristic that falls underneath this, this category comes out of fear. You see, churches that are about protecting and preserving their legend, operating out of fear. See, future generations will talk about them in past tense. Hey, you remember that Wind Baptist Church? Man, they used to do great things. What happened to them? Man, I remember when they used to reach out in our community and they helped start churches, but not so much anymore. 
Matter of fact, there are, there are churches I could go to now, and, and Don's been in them, I've been in them, when their highlight of my visit is telling me what they used to do. Oh, I remember when we used to send out, you know, 20, 30 people to go visit people every night. Oh, I remember when we used to have three or four mission trips a summer. I remember when we used to load up buses and take students to camp every year. I remember. See, when churches start telling me that they remember the past, that telling me, that's telling me they're not looking to the future. So they speak in past tense. Another thing they do is they protect. They protect. They're about protecting what they have. They're about protecting what they have. And, and, and I often hear it phrased this way. Yeah, we want to do that, but what if? What if? I had a friend of mine that was on staff at a church one time, and he came to me and goes, Mike, we were talking about technology and church. He goes, shoot, man, I can't even get my church to buy me a, a new computer. He said, because our church is too worried about what if the refrigerator in the kitchen went out. He, I said, well, what did you tell him? He says, well, I told him if I serve a God that can't raise enough money to go buy us a new refrigerator, we need to find a bigger God. I said, did you get a new computer? He said, no. <laughs> but see, we're about protecting what we have because we don't want to lose it. We don't want to let go of it. We love what we have because it leads to the next thing, and that's comfort. See, we protect what we have because it's comfortable. I have a place. I love the routine. Don't mess it up. It's comfortable. People and churches who are preserving their legend also like to hold on to things. They hold on to things. They're not letting go of their past. I've been in those churches where I look up and there's a trophy case, and in the trophy case is where the, you know, the men's basketball team won the Associational League in 1942. Yeah, you won it. There was two teams. Somebody's got to win it. Next year, you know they're going to win it. But they hold on, and they'll come in and say, Hey, did you see our trophy case? Yeah, I was a part of that team. I'll go, Yeah, so what are you doing to reach lost people today? But see, they hold on to those memories. They hold on to the past, and, and the past is great. As a matter of fact, if you were here last week and you heard Tommy Vincent, he said, man, we can, the past is awesome. They're great reminders of what God has done, but we can't stay there. But we do because it's comfortable. And here's, here's the last thing. We hold, we keep people. We like to keep people. Because we're worried about our image and our reputation. And, and if, if we do something or say something, it's going to make them upset. And, and then they're going to leave and they may leave. And then I'm going to have to find new teachers. And, and, and we deal with this. And you know, I'm going to have to find somebody in the, in the work in the baby's room. And man, you know, Miss So-and-So's been there 100 years. She probably was Joseph of Arimathea's wife who mentored Tommy. I don't know. But we hold on to people and we keep people because we're worried about how it's going to make them feel. And all of that comes out of being safe. we got to be safe. I like safe. And it's because we operate our lives and we live our lives much like Saul out of fear. But if you are a person who desires or, or do live your life investing in building a legacy for future generations, then here I want you to do, I want you to beside that, beside that word legend, I want you to write faith. I want you to write faith. 
in big letters, capital letters, faith. And see, a church that is focused on building and leaving and legacy for future generations, here's what they'll say about you in the, in, in, down the road. Hey, if you need help with your marriage, you need to go down to Wind Baptist Church because I remember years ago when we were a young couple, they helped us and they'll help you. Hey, you need help with your family and your kids? You want to know how to parent today? Man, get down there to Wind Baptist Church because they helped us. They'll help you. Present tense. Hey, man, we did great things in the past, but so Mike, what are we going to do different this year? We're going to reach more people and baptize more adults. What are we going to do different to make sure families stay together this year, Todd? Hey, Dustin, what are we going to do to see students take leadership in our children's ministry? Hey, Don, what are we going to do to see some of our deacons go out and pastor churches? See, that's what they'll be talking, saying about Win Baptist when we decide that we're going to live our lives and help Win Baptist invest and build and leave a legacy for future generations. Here's a few other things that they'll do. They'll risk. They'll take some risks. They'll embrace risk. They'll, instead of saying, what if, they'll be saying, why not? I remember when, when God originally called me into the ministry, and I used to spend time with my, my pastor and my mentor, and some of you got to hear him several weeks ago, during the, uh, several months ago during the Global Impact Conference. Gene Wilkes was my mentor. And, uh, and I'd be on, Gene, why can't we do this? I said, why not? Let's take a chance. But then over the years, that kind of wanes a little bit. We, and then we start figuring out why not. And so when, when people come to us and say why not, we're just like, ah. And then we ask, start asking why. And seeing that you start as a leader and as a church, you start moving from building a legacy and moving back to preserving your legend. So we embrace risk, but we also, we also uh, try change. Change isn't a bad thing. Listen. Of you farmers, how many want to go back to horse-drawn plows? You didn't mind the change in technology. How many of you got GPSs in your tractor? Sure don't mind that technology. How many of you teachers want to go back to mimeographs? Yeah, some of you are like, oh, have mercy. Yeah, I think there was some stone teachers after they run those mimeographs. Y'all remember smelling those things? Yeah, some of you are laughing because you know what I'm talking about. Students today have no idea. Hey, students, how'd you like to go back where you actually laid in the floor and changed the channel and you were the remote and all you got was three channels? That would be crazy. Yeah. Thank the Lord for change. But see, if we're going to be a, a church that builds and invests and leads, leaves a legacy for future generations, we're going to have to change because to reach families today, we've got to do something different. We can't keep doing ministry the same because people change. Our culture changes. Our, 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 our message never changes, but our methods may have to change. We also will be leaving, going, and blessing. Leaving, going, and blessing. 
nor peace in the morning's about to leave the comfort of when and her home and her job and she's going to a country guys we can't even know where it is because of security risks to go be a blessing to some people there to minister to them and carry the gospel we have Kevin and Chrissy Bolin who are serving who left the comfort of when left the comfort of when Baptist Church to go and be a blessing James and Marcy sitting right here. They have taken their, and their family, their entire family, all their children, to, from the comfort of here, from the comfort of their church, to go and be a blessing somewhere. Dan and Tammy Shackelford are up in Vancouver, B.C., doing the very same thing. Because they're going, and they're leaving, and they're building, and investing, and leaving a legacy for future generations in those countries. We will do the same and continue to do that if we want to build and leave a legacy for future generations. Lastly, we will reach people. We will reach people. Years ago, I heard Andy Stanley, who's a pastor at North Point Church outside of um, Atlanta, challenge his people in a message, and they went through a Luke chapter 15, and what they studied was those three parables of the lost coin, um, I knew I was going to forget that. The lost coin, the lost son, and the lost sheep. Thank you. And he wrapped it up by quoting Jesus' saying, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. That's why Jesus came. And he, he said to his church, he said, today we have to decide what kind of church we're going to be. We can be a church who reaches people or keeps people. He said, if we're going to be a church who's worried about keeping people, we will never be the church God wants us to be, and we will always be the church somebody else wants us to be, and we will start protecting our legend. I added that part. But he says, if we focus on reaching people, we will always be the church that God wants us to be, because that is his heart, and that is why Jesus came. You see... Churches who want to build and leave a legacy for future generations are about reaching people. They're about people who aren't even here yet. Can you believe that? Churches who actually focus on people who aren't here yet? They're not worried about their comfort. They're not worried about risk. They're not worried about change because they know that if they reach people and we see more students and we see more children and we see more adults come to know Jesus, then we're pursuing the heart of God. I love uh, the theme of D-Now, next. You see, all of those are about that, asking the next question. God, what's the next change we need to make? What's the next risk we need to take? Where's the next place that we need to leave, go to, and be a blessing? Who's the next person I need to share the gospel with? We need to be asking those questions of ourselves, not waiting for the students to lead out in that. Mom and dad, you need to be asking those questions in the presence of your children so they know that you care about leaving a legacy for them. I mean, who knew Joseph of Arimathea mentored Tommy? Tommy led Kirk to the Lord. Kirk mentored Josh, and then Josh would, would mentor Brian. See, guys, that's, that's a leaving a legacy. That starts way back when. It goes now and will go to future generations. At Wynn Baptist Church, we stand on the shoulders of people who over the years 
have taken some big risks and lived their lives looking forward. And many of you know those stories. I have sat with some of you, and you have told me the stories of how this church has made specific changes, taken specific risks to be the church that God wants us to be. This church has embraced risk. They knew change was inevitable, but they wanted a legacy, not a legend. A pastor friend of mine says that the greatest risk for most Christians is not that they would risk their lives, but their greatest risk for most Christians is that they would waste their lives. In doing so, would protect their legend. In 2010, Cindy and I found ourselves in Tanzania. And I remember we were down kind of western, central, south Tanzania. In the first village we had gone to, we, we literally lived in a village, in, in literally a tent city. I remember getting there that first night, and, and, uh, and if you've been before, it's not too much surprise, but if it's your first time and you start hearing hyenas barking right outside your camp, it can be a little disruptive. And then about midnight, we heard the local witch doctor chanting and drums and all of his followers hooping and hollering. About three or four in the morning, we heard the call to prayer as though their speaker was right next to our tent. Imagine that every night for a week. By the end of the week, we were exhausted physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Because what we found out was that village was about 95% Muslim. And we were part of the few Christians who were there. Now, I was pouring into our pastors and few pastors that came. Matter of fact, some sent, some sent representatives because they were afraid to come. Cindy led the children's ministry there and the difficulty of trying to share the gospel with Muslim children and mothers standing outside that door watching every, and listening to every word that you said. We provided medical care to, to everybody we could until our medicine ran out. We shared the gospel. Those who received Christ, we would give a, a, a Swahili Bible to, and at times we would see them you know, scattered outside the village, just torn apart. They had just raised their hand to get the Bible so they could shred it. At night, we would go out with our Tanzanian brothers and sisters and show the Jesus video and share the gospel. And, 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 and man, we were just, we were exhausted. And we were, I was standing at the closing ceremonies. And if you've ever been to Africa, man, they love closing ceremonies, man. It's a big celebration. That's that day. And I remember that moment looking at that child right there going, God, did we make a difference? And I remember as clear as God is speaking, uh, that I'm speaking to you, God spoke to me. Y'all do hear me. This isn't in my head, right? Okay, that's good. But I remember him saying, Mike, there will be generations of families who will look back to this week when the Wazungus, that's, that's the white people. It literally means people who go in circles because we're always busy, 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 busy. The white people brought not just the medicine but the truth of God's love. They will point back to this week 
and they would say, remember that week? That's when Jesus became real in our family. That's when Jesus became real in your grandparents. That's when Jesus became real to your parents. He said, yes, Mike. That week in the bush created a legacy of hope for families for generations to come because you brought the truth of God's love, because you took a risk. You made some changes to your schedule, to your life. You left the comfort of your home. You went and became a blessing, and you were focused on reaching people. And God blessed that. So what will you do with your life? Will it be remembered for the legend that you preserve or for the legacy that you built and left for other future generations? A friend of mine says, the more we fight for our legend, the less our legacy will survive. The more we try to protect what we have, the less we will have for future generations. So here's my challenge for you tonight. I want you to take that outline. I want you to take the five characteristics of a legend or a legacy. And I want you to honestly before God say, God, where does my life line up? And, and listen, let me tell you, if you lie to yourself, you're the only person you're lying to because God already knows your heart. He knows your life. So be honest. In a minute, I'm going to pray. Man, it, it, if you have been living and building and investing a legacy and your life lines up with that, praise the Lord for your legacy. Can't wait to see what that's going to look like. But here's what I want you to do. In a minute, we're going to pray, and as we stand and sing, I'm going to invite you to ask these three questions. Lord, what do I need to change so that I can continue to build and leave that legacy? Lord, who do I need to reach, and where are you calling me to go? If your life lines up on the legend side, I want to encourage you to stop living in fear and start living, out, living it in faith. Trust the Lord with all your heart. And then I want you to ask those three questions. I want you to confess with him, Lord, I have been living out of fear, and I have been protecting my legend instead of building a legacy. Ask him, what do I need to change? Who do I need to reach? And who are you calling me to go to? Maybe you're here tonight and man, you don't know the Lord at all. And tonight I want to give you the opportunity to do that. So I'm going to ask everyone just to bow their head. And if you're a member here, if, you're, uh, if you already have a relationship with the Lord, I'm going to ask that you would begin saying, Lord, show me my life compared to Saul or to David. Am I living out of fear or am I living faith? Am I trusting you to do great things? Am I willing to take a risk and make some changes and go to where you want me to go and focus on reaching people? But you may, not, you may be here tonight and you've never, ever started a relationship with God. I want to give you that opportunity because, man, he wants to do great things for you. Matter of fact, he has done one and that he sent your son, his son, to die on the cross for the penalty of your sin. And tonight you can have that relationship with him. The Bible says that if you realize that you can't save yourself, if you will acknowledge you're a sinner before God, if you will accept his forgiveness and accept Jesus as your Savior and give him control of your life, the Bible says you shall be saved and today you shall know God.
If you need to pray in a minute after I get through praying, I want you to just step out. Man, pray in the aisles. Pray at your seat. The altar's open. Come grab one of these pastors and pray with them. But don't leave here without making a commitment to helping Wind Baptist Church and your family build and invest in a legacy. Father God, we thank you for a man like David, who even after he messed up, God, he was a man after your own heart. He pursued the things of God and you blessed him and you gave him the legacy that endures forever. God, let us be that kind of church. Let us be that kind of people. And may we come before you broken tonight, confessing, remembering our first love and that passion and when we used to have to take risks and, and do what you want us to do, let us step out and do that again, Lord. Thank you for those who have gone before us and set the tone and set the pattern here at Wind Baptist Church. May we follow in those footsteps. In the name of Jesus, I pray.